Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. My journey towards wellness began when my great-grandmother became a Seventh-day Adventist back in the 1940s and the 1950s. Anybody alive during the 1940s and 1950s here? And you remember the 1940s? You remember the 19- You're old enough to remember the 1940s and 1950s? Okay. Well, that's, that's when my great-grandmother, she was living in Colombia. My, my whole my family, my, my dad's family at that time was living in Colombia, South America, and she became a Seventh-day Adventist. And some of you, like I said, were around back then. And do you remember the Seventh-day Adventist Church of the 1940s and 1950s? Do you remember the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the 1940s and 1950s? Would you say it looks a little different than what it looks like today? Yeah? Oh, much different. Yeah, it looked different for sure. It looked different. Uh, the Ad- Seventh-day Adventist Church back in those days, from what I understand, was just a, a tad bit stricter. Is that fair to say? Just a tad bit strict? No? A lot more stricter? A lot more stricter than it is today, right? Okay. Matters of lifestyle, drinking coffee, caffeine, eating meat, being a vegetarian, dress and adornment, smoking, alcohol, movies, theaters, dancing, were to a large extent tests of fellowship. In other words, if you didn't do those things, you wouldn't become a baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. To be an Adventist and focusing and narrowing it down a little bit more, to be an Adventist back in those days almost was synonymous with being a vegetarian. To be Adventist is to be vegetarian. Remember those days? Statistics indicate that today, 73% of Seventh-day Adventist membership is no longer uh, vegetarian. 73%. 73%. And it's ironic because nowadays we still have that reputation that we're vegetarian. Um, in fact, one, that's one of the first things when you tell them, oh, you're Seventh-day Adventist. They say, oh, you're, you're vegetarian. Uh, I am. But 73% of the others aren't. Oh, mercy. And so my mother meets my father, and they marry and then my mother was not an Adventist, a Seventh-day Adventist at that time. She was a Baptist or evangelical, but she did have an interest in health. Uh, because of health complications early in her life, the doctors forbade her from eating pork and from drinking coffee. Well, that sounds pretty Adventist, doesn't it? You know, she's not an Adventist, right? She's a Baptist evangelical. Couldn't eat pork, couldn't drink coffee. She was already on that path towards becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. She meets my father. In turn, she meets my great-grandmother and is mentored by my great-grandmother in matters of faith and lifestyle. My great-grandmother taught my mother how to read labels while she's in the grocery store, how to shop. She made her a vegetarian and just the the whole package. My mother became a Seventh-day Adventist in the early 80s, shortly after I was born. And by that time, she was a full vegetarian and and tithe pain member and no jewelry and no makeup and long dresses and the the whole thing. Because I think think even the Adventist church in the 80s was a little different from today, right? Okay, amen. Amen. All right, nostalgia is actually um, back, back in vogue now. Nostalgia, maybe we should take the church back to the 80s, I don't know. And so I was born, and I was, I, was, I was born a vegetarian, if you can say that, or I was raised vegetarian. And then somewhere around the time when I was two years old, our Seventh-day Adventist pediatrician told my mother that because we were vegetarian, 
we would not receive the required protein intake. And therefore, she needed to feed us some meat. Seventh-day Adventist pediatrician. That's what he told us. And so my mother did what any loving mother would do. She followed the doctor's advice, and we began to eat meat around, you know, two years old or something like that. And we ate meat. And boy, did we eat meat. Mm-mm-mm. Talk about Kentucky Fried Chicken and Church's Chicken and the rotisserie gold and the McDonald's. And I was especially fond of the Big Mac. I, I didn't like the cheeseburger, but I, I loved the Big Mac and the Burger King Whopper and Burger King's Chicken Sandwich. Did they still sell that? I don't know if they do or not. That chicken sandwich was my go-to. Golden Corral and the ribeye steak, well done, was my favorite, that ribeye steak. And, and, then, and then we lived in Houston, and every year the Houston would host the livestock show and rodeo um, in the Astrodome. And some of you guys remember that, the Astrodome, and they would just have this barbecue turkey legs. Have you seen those barbecue turkey legs? And we would buy them, and I felt like a Viking when I was eating that, that, that turkey barbecue leg, and I was like, mmm, this thing is good. Mm. You know, you can almost hit somebody with that. You know, it felt like a caveman. You could hit somebody, hurt somebody with that turkey leg. Oh, gizzards from Popeye's would make my mouth water. Oh. And the fajitas. Am I making some of you hungry right now? Mm. All the fast food restaurants. All the slow food restaurants. Oh, I got my fill of meat. Moment of, uh, moment of transparency during my rebellious teen years. I even tasted. I even tasted. You know how Wendy sells that quarter pounder? A little bit of bacon in it. Oh, bacon is good. Isn't it good? Do I have a witness out there? Bacon is delicious. Oh, my word. Pepperoni. Come on. Some fancy friends introduced me to escargot. Korean friends introduced me to squid. During my rebellious teen years, right? My rebellious teen years. My wife grew up eating everything, actually, as well, in Lithuania. In Lithuania, if it moves, it's what's for dinner. That's Lithuania. Mm. And, and then something happened in our family. Our, our conscience was quickened, and we had this sense that maybe we should eat a little healthier. Maybe we should become vegetarian again. I was 15 at the time, and since my mother was, is a great cook, she really is, um, becoming a vegetarian is actually really easy. Um, yeah, it's a secret to becoming a, a vegetarian. Um, put a lot of oil, a lot of olive oil, and fry it if you can, and seasoning. That's the key. Secret ingredient right there. Copious amounts of olive oil and seasoning. It was a progressive process. However, we didn't just leave meat behind cold turkey. It was little by little, little by little. Although Burger King, every time we drove by Burger King and the smell of the Whopper, you know, that was, that was tempting. That was tempting. But we held our way. Little by little, we lost our taste for, for meat. And then somewhere along that journey, I was 15 at that time, but then somewhere along that journey, I personally, I felt the need to take things to another level. And I decided to become a vegan. I left behind soft drinks and soda and pop and candy and sweets, and I didn't drink any juice, only water. In fact, that's a habit I still have today. Here it is, only water. Someone once told me, you know, imagine taking a shower with, you know, Coca-Cola, right? How would that feel, right? Imagine taking a shower with with grape juice or, you know, cranberry juice. I was like, oh, that's kind of disgusting. They said, that's exactly what it is if you drink it on the inside. Drink only water. That That was kind of the reasoning. Drank only water, became vegan, and I did so for a few years. By this time, I was 22 years old, and I went in for my very first blood test. And to my surprise, what do you think my numbers looked like? I was vegan, remember? 
I was vegan, and my cholesterol was 212. And, and that was my expression right there. Whoa, what is this? That, that, that's impossible. How is that possible? I'm a, I'm a vegan. Do you know that vegans die at the same rate of coronary heart disease that non-vegans and meat eaters do? Did you know that? Mm, and there's a reason for it, and uh, it's the same reason why my cholesterol was 212. And so the doctor asked me two questions. He said, do you exercise? I was 22, and the answer was no. I didn't exercise. I was too busy. I was in college. I was studying. I was reading. And then he asked me, how much fat, how much oil do you eat? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't need any oil. I don't need any oil. I'm good. Then he was like, well, do you eat olive oil? Oh, yeah, I, I eat olive oil. Yeah. Um, how do you use your olive oil? Well, we... Um, put our olive oil on the beans. When we make the beans, we put olive oil in there. And then when we make the rice, we, you know, kind of stir fry the rice a little bit with a little bit of olive oil. And then um, when we eat our, um, or when our vegetables, we put a little bit of olive oil. Oh, I guess I do eat <laughs> a lot of oil. Um, do you eat any butter? No, no, I don't eat butter. No, I'm good. I, I don't eat butter. I, I only eat this, this thing called Smart Balance. And it's this healthy, non-hydrogenated soybean spread. It's not even margarine. No, no, not even margarine. It's soybean spread. And, and, and he's like, well, how do you eat it? Well, you know, we have some tortillas that my mom makes, and, and we just spread a little bit of that, of that you know, that, oh, that smart balance on the tortilla. We spread it, and, and then we um, pour a little bit of that tofuti sour cream, because I'm a vegan, tofuti sour cream, which actually is nothing but oil. And, and then we take, and, and then we take um, some, some cheese. Maybe this is where I, I cheated a little bit, okay? Some of that Honduran cheese, that white cheese from Latin America, which is so good, which is nothing but fat also. And then I eat those tortillas, and I probably eat like 10 at a time. And then we make our toast. We spread that soybean smart balance on that, on that toast. And there's nothing like, you talk about bread and butter. Oh, there's nothing like toasted bread with butter melted on it. So, so delicious. Yeah. Okay. So he told me, you need to start exercising. Exercise at least three times a week for at least 30 minutes. He explained the benefits of exercising uh, in the cardio and how it would strengthen your heart because your heart is a muscle and it needs to get pumping. And it says get your heart rate up and exercise will also strengthen your bones. I didn't know that. It's good to uh, avoid osteoporosis when you exercise. It'll strengthen your muscles. You'll start burning calories. You'll start burning fat. You'll start, it'll start promoting your HDL, which is the, the healthy cholesterol that we all need. It'll cut down on your LDL cholesterol. It will release endorphins. It's like a drug. It makes you feel great after you exercise size. It'll regulate your blood pressure. It'll even regulate your glucose levels. And I was like, man, exercise sounds like that panacea, you know, like, 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 like that miracle drug that'll fix everything. And he was like, yeah, I will fix everything. So start exercising. And then he tells me, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. So I need you to cut out all fats, all oil from your diet. No more olive oil, no more, no more the smart, balanced, hydrogen, non-hydrogenated, whatever, soybean spread, none of that. No more butters, no more peanut butters, no more almond butters, no more cashew butters, no more vegetable shortening, no more Crisco, no oil at all. <sighs> can't imagine living, right? Mercy, can't imagine living life like that. So then I had to eat my toast without any butter spread on it. You know how hard that is? You know, especially how hard it is to eat garlic bread without any butter on it. You know, just, just bread. That's right. 
It took a few months for me to implement this. It was 2004, in January of 2004, but by the summer of 2005, I went in to have a checkup, and guess where my cholesterol levels were? 146. 146, she called in. Yeah, I think she's heard the sermon before. No, <laughs> no, 146, you know, and I was like, I was celebrating. And a year and a half, though, of just being faithful with this, with this diet. And, it, and since 2005, for the most part, my cholesterol has remained in the 140s. I think I dipped it down to the 130s, and then I went on vacation and started eating my mom's food, and it spiked all the way to the, to the 200s. But um, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, when I'm careless with my eating, when I stop exercising, my cholesterol will spike. Then I have to start over again with discipline, with motivation to exercise, and it'll come back down. Uh, the idea is we are on a journey towards wellness. And, um, and even right now, we're, we make tweaks here and there. Um, in fact, since October, I gained 20 pounds. I don't know if you can tell or not. Believe it or not, I gained 20 pounds. And the other day, I had to take, I had to take my pants to the tailor um, because my pants, believe it or not, don't fit me anymore. And, um, and my wife said I hadn't gained 20 pounds since October. She said I gained 20 pounds since March. So I don't know. I stopped exercising back in October, plus we were traveling. So I, I need to work on that now, now that we're back. But anyways, so when we were deciding about what to do our doctorate on, one of the key questions that the professor asked me is, what are you passionate about? And I said, I am passionate about tennis. And he said, no. He said, no. What else are you passionate about? And I said, well, you know, there's this thing about fitness and and wellness and and health. I mean, it's not like I'm an Ironman. I, I don't run marathons. I barely run 5Ks, but... Because of my condition, um, my body just doesn't do well with fats. I just have to be intentional about staying fit and, and wellness. And so he said, well, why don't you do something on that? Why don't you do a project of maybe a faith-based approach that, where you can take your church on a journey towards wellness and towards fitness and, and towards health? And, and maybe, maybe you can focus on, the professor told me, how about maybe focusing on obesity and overweight? How about focusing on that? he says, how can your church become an oasis, he said, of fitness and health? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. A theology of wellness, a theology of fitness with a focus on obesity and overweight, okay? Let's have a word of prayer before we continue further. Father, show us your calling. Show us your purpose And show us your intent for our lives, your intent for our health, and your intent and purpose for our well-being. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we speak about a theology of of wellness and, and focusing on obesity and overweight, Scripture, now listen to me here carefully, Scripture is largely silent on obesity and overweight. Mm-hmm. Though there are a few passages that could be related to the subject. Do you want to look at them? All right, we're going to look up five biblical passages related to obesity and overweight. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 15. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. Exodus 15 and verse 26. And the Lord said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God... And do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases 
I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, in this context uh, specifically, this reference to the diseases brought upon the Egyptians are a reference to the ten plagues. But recent studies have done something. They have taken the old mummies that have been found in the pyramids of Egypt, and they have performed CT scans on these mummies. And the results of these CT scans have indicated that many, if not the majority, of the Egyptian mummies, and the Egyptian mummies, the people who were mummified were the wealthy people, and I think that's going to be important here. People who were mummified in Egypt were the wealthy people, the upper classes. When they did the CT scans on the Egyptian mummies, they found that the majority of Egyptian mummies had evidence of atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis. What is atherosclerosis? Atherosclerosis is the hardening and the narrowing of the arteries due to plaque buildup caused by a diet high in fat. Atherosclerosis prominent among mummies in Egypt. Uh, In other words, evidence suggests that the Egyptians were dying of cardiovascular-related diseases. They were dying of stroke. They were dying of heart attack. They were dying of hypertension. They were dying of diabetes. The Egyptians were dying because of lifestyle-related diseases, largely due to their choices and their eating habits. That's something. Is it then a coincidence that the Old Testament actually prohibited Israel from eating fat? Is it a coincidence? Hmm. Notice what Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17 says. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, you must not eat any fat or blood. We typically focus on the blood and, and we speak about kosher, but we kind of skip the fat. You know? And well, you know, we're Seventh-day Adventists, so we don't, speak, you know, we don't eat lard. Um, and I don't know if there's any other kind of uh, other fat, maybe just Crisco, I'm not sure. Or not, but um, in fact, I think clean animals are largely lean animals. But still, prohibition against eating fat. Is it a coincidence? It's another biblical passage in Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 23. Again, the Lord repeats, Do not eat any of the fat of cattle, of sheep, or of goats. The fat of an animal found dead or torn by wild animals may be used for any other purpose. Like, what do you use fat for if, if it's not for eating? Soap. The fat of an animal found dead or torn by wild animals may be used for any other purpose, but you must not eat it. You know, that fat today is the leading cause of atherosclerosis, of calcification of the arteries, which leads to the number one killer in developed countries. Number one killer in developed countries is atherosclerosis, coronary heart disease, stroke, heart attack, hypertension, yes, even diabetes. What? Yes, diabetes is not caused by eating too much sweets. Diabetes is caused by having too much fat in your system. And the fat then what it does is it creates a coating around the glucose cells, which hinders the insulin from penetrating it and allowing the body to absorb it. Hmm. Passage number one in the Bible that could be related to obesity and overweight. Passage number two, are you ready? Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 20. Let's start in verse 18. And this is the second passage. The first passage, the diseases of the Egyptians. The second passage is the passage of the stubborn son. None of you have those, do you? Stubborn children? No? Okay. Verse 18. If someone has a stubborn 
and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town, and they shall say to the elder, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. That's heavy, huh? And this stubborn son, interestingly enough, is identified as gluttonous. I find that very interesting. Gluttony. Gluttony here is connected with stubbornness, with rebellion, with disobedience, and with drunkenness. American culture today, tell me if I'm wrong or not, encourages gluttony. Hmm? Does it? Hmm? Golden Corral, buffet. I mean, that's tough. You know, buffets are tough. You know, you know we go to buffets and it's so hard not to eat too much. Isn't that right? So hard not to eat too much. And I go there and in so many experiences when I was a little kid and we go to Ryan's. Ryan's was the, 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 um, the buffet place back, back in Houston. Go to Ryan's and I tell you, it wasn't on just one occasion where I would eat so much that I, I, I would hurt. I would hurt myself. I, I, I would leave out of there. You know, I have to bring the gurney or the ambulance out of there. I mean, it was, it was hurt, hurt so bad. Not on one occasion did I also cause myself indigestion for the next two or three days. You know, it's so hard, and even today, it's so hard because I have so much food, and it smells so good, and it's all you can eat for one price. <sighs> Can't pass up a deal like that. American culture today encourages gluttony, supersized menus, though I don't think they're around anymore, so, so credit to McDonald's. Is that right? Anybody been to McDonald's lately? Do they still have the supersized menus? No, I don't think they do, right? I think they took them down. Credit to McDonald's. Never think you would say something like that, but credit to McDonald's for taking off their supersized menus. There's a documentary called Supersize Me. Supersize Me. I encourage you to watch that. American portions. Yeah, you, we just came back from Europe. And, um, and we go to a restaurant, and, you know, they give us a drink, and it's about, the drink is probably about this big, and no free refills, that's it, and, and then it's just little tiny portions on the plate, and the, and the food costs just as much as here, if not more expensive than here, you know, and then you come here, and, you know, your drink is like about this big, and, and then your portion sizes are, are huge, and, and, and it's more for less, and American culture encourages gluttony and also drinking. And alcohol. I mean, one of the number one advertisers, one of the wealthiest industries in the United States of America, probably in Western culture, are the alcohol, the, uh, the brewing companies. And yeah, they put that little, you know, that little disclaimer, well, make sure you drink responsibly, right? Um, but once you start drinking, is that maybe a little hard? I don't know. Some people struggle with it. Some people may not. Excess, indulgence, extravagance, sensual gratification are some of the cardinal sins of modern-day America. Are you with me or not? And, and, And I can't think of a better summary than the following video. Better summarize American extravagance and excess. Are you ready for it? Just that, you know, emphasis, electric guitar on it. Because we're Americans, and we want it, and we want it all, and give it to us, and give it to us now. Is that, is that right? I don't know. I think, I think, that's, I think that's so. <sighs> give it to me all. 
and I want it now. Excess and instantaneous gratification. Temperance, however, gluttony, temperance is the opposite of gluttony. Temperance, however, was in ancient cultures considered one of the cardinal virtues, foundational virtues which described moral excellence. And when we went to Italy this last year, they actually personified the virtues as women of faith and love and wisdom and hope and mercy and patience, gentleness, goodness, humility, wisdom, prudence, courage, justice. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace? Oh, well, maybe that's where... Maybe Paul, you know, there was maybe some shared culture there. Benevolence and purity. Temperance was one of the cardinal values that were taught in the ancient world. And what is temperance? Temperance is abstaining from all harmful substances and eating the good in moderation. So that's passage number two that may speak about obesity and gluttony. Here's passage number three. Number one, disease of the Egyptians. Number two, stubborn son. And number three... Jeshurun. Who knows who Jeshurun is? Anybody know who Jeshurun is? Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15. Jeshurun is a nickname for Israel or for Judah. They had nicknames back in those days. We have nicknames today, right? All right, so Jeshurun was another nickname for Israel, for the people of Israel. Uh, it's the one name that, that would personify them, Jeshurun. And let's, let's look a little bit at, um, at Jeshurun here. This is God describing um, what would happen with Israel Um, As he gave them the land flowing milk and honey. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, Maybe we should start with verse 14. Uh, With curd and with milk of the herd and flock, with the fattened lambs and the goats, with choice rams of Bashan, with the finest kernels of wheat, you drank the foaming blood of the grape. You drank that, that grape juice, that new wine. And verse 15, and so as a result, Jeshurun, he grew fat, and he kicked. All right, now, watch that. Uh, He kicked. He kicked. In fact, this is actually an illustration. This is an illustration from livestock. Don't they say when you have a cow or a horse, you never want to walk behind them because they could? Could kick you. Anybody been kicked by a a cow? No, we don't. no, No, we don't want a horse. You know, we don't want that. Jeshurun grew fat and he kicked. What's, what's, what's that kicking all about? Why is he kicking? He grew fat and, and he kicked. And, and let's keep reading here. He grew fat and he kicked and he was filled with food and he became heavy and he became sleek. And then he what? Abandoned the God who made them. And they rejected their rock, their savior. This passage equates a rich and a lavish lifestyle with, with, with kicking, what, what, what is that kicking all about? Some other translations say you grew sleek or you were covered with fat and you were oily. The, 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 the new Revised Standard Version, it says you grew fat and you grew bloated and you grew gorged. The New King James Version says you grew fat and you grew thick and you are obese. In the Hebrew word, uh, in the Hebrew, the word for sleek can also mean he became obstinate. That's what that kicking is all about. That God is trying to lead them, and they're just rebelling against what God is trying to do. Leave me alone. Get out of here. I don't want what you're doing for me. I don't want to follow you. I want to do my own thing. And it's interesting to me that one of the sins of Sodom, as described in Ezekiel chapter 16 and 49, you know, when we speak about Sodom, we always focus on sexual immorality. But one of the sins of Sodom, one of the cardinal sins of Sodom, as described in Ezekiel 16 verse 49, is that they were overfed. 
It says your sins are fullness of food and fullness of bread. Hmm, very interesting. There's another passage in the Old Testament that may speak to obesity and, and overweight, and it's uh, King Eglon, the king of the Moabites, in Judges 3, verse 17. And this is Ehud, and this, is, and this story is in the Bible. Um, it's probably like rated R, but um, Ehud came. He had a dagger. He was left-handed. He had a dagger, and the Moabites were oppressing the children of Israel. And so Ehud said, I have, I have a word of the Lord for you. And uh, Ehud um, takes that dagger when they're in private, and he sticks it in the gut of um, King Eglon. And King Eglon had so much adipose tissue on him that, the, that, that it just swallowed up the sword, and, and Ehud could not remove the sword. It just swallowed up, and then he left. The final passage in Scripture that probably speaks towards obesity and overweight is when the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, speaks about individuals whose God is their belly, is what he says. Very interesting. Very interesting. Obesity, though known in the ancient world, was yet relatively rare in pre-industrialized civilizations. And one can only suppose that it was rare in Bible times as well. In fact, anthropological studies have shown that obesity is onset when traditional societies, hunter-gatherer societies, agricultural societies, nomadic societies, interesting because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all nomads, They went from place to place. Anthropological studies have shown that obesity is onset when traditional societies, hunter-gatherer, agricultural, nomadic societies, when they become, number one, affluent, when they become secure, when they settle down, when they adopt a sedentary lifestyle, along with food being abundant and readily available. That's what onsets obesity. And as I was reading that, I was like, affluence? Security? Settling down, adopting a sedentary lifestyle, hey, that's the American dream. It's the American dream right there, or at least it's my dream as well. I mean, who, 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 who loves not having enough money? Anybody raise your hand? You just love it. You don't have enough money. You just love it that you don't have enough money to pay your bills. Um, you just love it that JEA just came and, you know, shut off your electricity and water. You just, you love that. You, no, who loves that? No, no one loves that, right? Uh, we, we love upward mobili- mobility financially. I, I want to be affluent. I, I want to have enough of money. And, and, and let's just maybe even change it. That's a little materialistic. Okay, well, how about for our children? I wish I had enough money so that my child could have the benefits and the privileges and the opportunities that maybe other children have. Right? Amen? Amen? Or, or, or how about, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 1019, which is actually my favorite Bible verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 1019 says, money is the answer for everything. Amen. And I say amen to that. Money is the answer for everything. That was Solomon. And oh, let's take it to another level, okay, spiritually. Uh, If we had more than enough money here in the church, the church plant would be able to have their own building already by now. No, but but instead we're trying to figure out how can we build a property there. But if we had money, it would solve, you know, solve our, our spiritual dilemmas here. The work of God would prosper and advance. And who doesn't want security? I want security. Job security. No, financial security. You guys want that? I want that. Retirement security, I want that. Uh, Physical security, I want that. Um, How about, have you heard this thing about settling down? I worked hard so that my child doesn't have to. You said that, you know? I I, I worked so hard so that my child doesn't doesn't have to. What does that mean? That means that we want our child to have like a white-collar job, right? Where he can come, he can sit in an office, and, and he doesn't have to get his hands dirty the way I had to. We long for sedentary jobs. 
And then, come on, who wants to go hungry? Who wants to go hungry? No, we want to make sure there's abundance of food in the pantry, in the refrigerator, food whenever I want it. And, and if, I don't, if I don't have anything in my house, well, at least I can go to, the, go to the supermarket and get it right there. I don't have a garden in the backyard that I have to grow my own food. I don't have to worry about famine anymore. Right? We don't have to worry about famine here in the United States of America, uh, which, which is a blessing. Or is it? I don't know. You know. I can go to a restaurant and get food readily available. Obesity is onset when traditional societies become affluent, secure, settle down, adopt a sedentary lifestyle, along with food being abundant and readily available. It's what I long for, and yet what I long for is what brings on obesity and overweight. And it's interesting to me, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but just to preview, it's interesting because after the fall, God cursed the ground. And he says, for your sake, it will be with the sweat of your brow that you will eat the bread all the days of your life. Maybe there was something about that. Therefore, in order to build a theology of wellness, we must first take a step back and consider that all forms of illness, whether it's physical maladies, whether viral maladies, whether infectious diseases or bacterial, oncological illnesses, mental illnesses, all forms of illness, including obesity and overweight, they have their origin in the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, a fall which corrupted the totality of their being, physical, moral, spiritual, and emotional. I believe that when it comes to obesity and overweight, there indeed is a physical element to it. But there's also a mental aspect to it, an emotional aspect to it, a spiritual component as well. And therefore, this morning, I want to focus on a holistic theology of health and wellness in relationship to our body, our spirit, and our mind with a special focus on its impact on obesity and overweight. So what I want to do from here on is seek to understand God's original intention for life and health. In future sermons, we're going to consider how the fall of Adam and Eve affected uh, God's original purpose. And in our final sermon, we will look at how God is seeking to restore us. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.